Thank you, Charlie. Good morning once again. When I learned that I'd be forced to stay at home for at least a month, my type A tendencies kicked right in. I figured I would Marie Kondo my entire house, plant a garden, even paint the inside of my garage. I've always wanted to be the kind of person who has worked so far down her home improvement to-do list that painting the inside of the garage, even the floors with that shiny gray concrete paint was all that remained. But alas, the house remains uncondoed, the garden unfurrowed, the garage floor unpainted. Because instead, I decided to rescue a puppy. I'd been pondering a canine addition to my household since the passing of my 16-year-old terrier mix, Annie, last July. Hmm. I figured, what better time? It wasn't exactly a novel idea. Quarantines have spurred an increase in pet adoptions and fostering across the globe. I know of at least three other UUCL families with new puppies. For my part, I figured I could teach him so much that we'd be ready to prance around the ring in an international dog show by the time the stay-at-home directives had lifted. I adopted Ozzy on March 19th. He has mastered housebreaking. Well, mastered might be a bit of an overstatement. And I've taught him a few things for sure. But looking back on these six weeks, it's clear that he's also taught, helped me learn some things amidst this pandemic and resulting self-isolation. Specifically, he's helped me understand the power and beauty of this great pause. I first heard the phrase, the great pause, from writer and director Julio Vincent Gambuto, who described it as the greatest gift ever unwrapped. He says it has brought to light all of the beautiful and painful truths of how we live. Here's a beautiful truth. I watch my adorable puppy bask in the sunshine, entertained only by a single dandelion, and I can almost feel my heartbeat slowing, my heart opening. I'm reminded that this life of ours and the tiny moments that make up that life deserve our full, undivided attention. Here's a less beautiful truth. For me, appreciating moments like these, that is, being still and mindful and present, has never come easy. It's that type A curse I mentioned earlier. It's not easy for me to pause. It's not easy for me to stop trying to live in the future and to get there faster by multitasking my precious present away at a furious pace. For all the pain and sorrow, 
for all the disruption it brings to life and livelihoods, we can say this. This great pause has stripped away many of our addictive activities and diversions. It presents an opportunity of a sort to concentrate on the now and find moments of stillness. Stillness for Thich Nhat Hanh is the foundation of understanding and insight. For Eckhart Tolle, the infinitely creative womb of all existence. And for the poet Mary Oliver, as we heard in this morning's meditation, one of the doors into the temple. And yet, it's not automatic. I certainly know that well. A friend once told me that I would be well served to be more of a human being and less of a human doing. So I work on it. I try to make space where I can to be in touch with being. Now there's a new love in my life in the form of a nine pound German Shepherd Chihuahua mix to help me. And when it happens, when that experience of simply being takes place, I am always reminded of how accessible my feelings really are. This new love is only six weeks old and perhaps I shouldn't be rushing into things. But there is no escaping the fact that I am truly, madly, deeply in love. I've lived alone since I became an empty nester in 2012 and since July without any pets. Now, every morning, I awake to a face-licking, neck-nuzzling alarm clock and a reminder of the healing power of touch from another living being. Ozzy brings me great joy at a time when joy is hard to come by. And who could blame me? You should see his face. In fact, you can see his face. Come here. Come here. You want to meet everyone? This is Ozzy. Say hello. <laughs> All right. His cameo is now done. I'm immensely grateful for Ozzy. I'm also grateful to have a job when so many jobs are being furloughed or eliminated. I'm grateful for this unexpected time with my adult son, teleworking from my home to keep us company, for frequent walks, for warmer days, for finally meeting many of my neighbors, for the texts, phone chats, and Zoom meetings that help me stay in touch with the people I love. Zoom is better than nothing, of course, but let's face it, it doesn't replace the face-to-face, hand-to-hand, hug-to-hug connections we cherish. On Sunday mornings, when we gather via Zoom for this very service, I definitely feel the loss of our in-person connections. You're likely missing social contacts in your life as well. 
Sickness and death are the worst of this global tragedy, and our hearts go out to those who have experienced these profound losses. There are other losses too. Economic devastation, widespread fear, crippling loneliness, or even just the loss of normal times, the reassuring patterns of our lives, such as not being able to watch our beloved graduates confidently stride across the stage, or just foregoing our annual Derby Mint Julep. These losses too are sources of grief. Even the most privileged among us are not okay, and we don't know when we will be. So no matter what you might be grieving during the great pause, David Kessler, perhaps the world's foremost expert on loss and grief, says grief is a no judgment zone. He says he's been asked repeatedly throughout his career, which loss is the worst? His response is always the same, your loss. Your loss is the worst. If you're feeling guilty for any moments of joy that you find amidst such heartbreaking loss, say by nuzzling a sweet puppy, well, experts say that it's normal, healthy even, to experience two seemingly opposing emotions at the same time. And if you're like me, feeling guilty that you're isolating in the comfort of your home when so many people are struggling, that's not helpful either. Research professor and best-selling author Brene Brown calls it comparative suffering and says that love is the last thing we need to ration right now. The exhausted ER doctor doesn't benefit more if you reserve your empathy only for her and ignore your feelings or withhold empathy from someone lower on the suffering scale, she says. Hurt is hurt. And every time we honor our own struggle and the struggles of others by responding with empathy, the healing that results affects all of us. I'd like to tell you that I follow these words of wisdom all the time, but that would be a lie. In the interest of full disclosure, I'll share that this pandemic has fueled some moments of utter frustration in my new life with Ozzy. Okay, maybe more like a couple of mini tantrums. These are usually fueled by the discovery of a wet spot on the carpet or a chewed slipper, sometimes both at the same time. Ozzy has helped me quickly disregard the notion of perfection. I've accepted that, that we will not be entering any dog shows ever. I've learned that we're both happier when we slow down and adjust expectations. I credit Ozzy with helping me learn to be satisfied with just the tiniest bit of improvement from the week before. Beyond that, Ozzy is just, well, sweet. He's loving and he brings me tremendous joy. That is enough and that is a gift. 
We need joy and its close cousin gratitude in these times. And we need to be gentle with ourselves. That is my wish for all of you. If you need someone to tell you this, allow me. You don't need to dedicate this time of social distancing to writing the great American novel, getting an Olympic caliber shape, or even learning to bake bread or completing a 2,500 piece monochromatic puzzle. Perhaps the best, most healthy way we can rise to this challenge is by lowering our expectations of ourselves. Like many of you, I've done quite a bit of reading about what life might be like once the worst of the pandemic has passed, or more hopefully, once there is a vaccine. There's no shortage of different scenarios, but most prognosticators agree that there will be no such thing as a return to normal. Our economy will be different. Our healthcare will be different. Our society will be different. We will be different. Perhaps that difference will help us find a sense of purpose to all the grief we feel now. David Kessler, the grief expert I cited earlier, got permission from the family of his former collaborator, noted psychiatrist and death expert Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, to update her list of the five stages of grief. To Kubler-Ross's iconic five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, Kessler has added a sixth, meaning. He says that many of us, after a tragedy, deal with post-traumatic stress. And meaning, or finding meaning in the experience we've endured, is the key to us having post-traumatic growth. Loss is simply what happens to you in life, he said. Meaning is what you make happen. I hope that Ozzy and I will be among those who've grown. For me, I suspect that will mean renewed clarity on the simpler things in life, an awakening to what is truly important, and an increased appreciation for stillness, grace, and gratitude. For him, well, perhaps he'll have mastered the two things that we've all gotten plenty of practice at during quarantine. Sit and stay. Blessed be. Thank you, Sally.